Okay, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now we get serious and we start moving forward. Praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And specifically, I'd like you to turn to uh, verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. And if anybody needs a Bible, we have a Bible. Does anybody need a Bible? We'd be happy to give you a Bible. Anyone? Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though our outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I've entitled this moment, we do not, uh, this message, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And one of the reasons I have is because many believers in this church and elsewhere outside the church, we just heard at prayer time about Steve Richardson and, and others, are experiencing times of trial, times of testing by our Lord, and not only by our Lord, but by the evil perpetuated in our culture and our society. At times, we feel hemmed in. At times, we feel surrounded. I told the prayer team on uh, two, uh, Wednesday night, I said, I have this imagery of walls being set around our church, and we're hemmed in by the walls. And I asked the people who were there, I said, pray, pray that God bulldozes the walls and we could break free into the liberty of Christ. It appears in many of our cases, it is one thing right after another. You just come out of one trial only to enter another trial. But this is not new for believers. I want to qualify that. This is not new for believers. For believers throughout all generations have endured times of testing, trial, and temptation, some so profound that it has cost them even their own lives. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, Immersion in suffering has preceded the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Fasting gives an appetite for the banquet. The Lord is revealed on the backside of the desert while his servants keep the sheep and wait in solitary awe. The wilderness is the way to Canaan. I have that quote printed and on my desk to remind me of that all the time. Christians of all ages have faced times of testing and trial. We have a whole book in the Bible dedicated to this. In the book of Job, written by one man who probably faced the most severe trial and testing of anyone. And yet through it all, he did not curse God. Yet through it all, he endured. Yet through it all, he blessed God. And through it all, he was blessed by God. Trials, testings, temptation are not designed to cause us to lose heart. That is not the design. Trials, 
are not an abnormal disruption to some plan and purpose of God that we are to have a peaceful life without any kinds of incidents. It is said that the difference between Americans and non-Americans is that Americans wake up every day thinking this day is going to be great. There's going to be no problems. While the rest of the world wakes up thinking it's going to be lousy and maybe it'll be a good day today. But it is through trials, through testings, through adverse circumstances that we as believers get to see the power of God in our lives and glorify God and glorify Christ. 1 Peter 4.1 says this, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Peter points out that Christ himself, the preeminent example, suffered in the flesh. And that we are to arm ourselves, therefore, for the same purpose. So today we're going to look at one such example in the life of the beloved Apostle Paul. And we see it here in 2 Corinthians. Now let me just give you some background on 2 Corinthians, okay? 2 Corinthians um, was written to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, and we see in 1 Corinthians, they had a lot of problems. That church was had divisions, had schisms. They were coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper with drunkenness and gluttony. There was immorality going on in the church. There was a litany of things that were just going. There were, the divisions emanated from, oh, I'm a follower of Peter, I'm a follower of Paul, I'm a follower of Apollos. It was just breaking down. And the whole epistle of 1 Corinthians is written to the church at Corinth as a rebuke, number one, and as a correction, number two. Here's what you're doing wrong. This is what you need to do to get right. Well, after Paul had written 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian church started to go even further bad. And Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church, which is lost to us in history, but is referred to as the severe letter. He was deeply hurt. Some of the false teachers that were in the church were challenging Paul's apostleship. They were saying that the true false teacher is Paul himself. And Paul was deeply wounded. He sends Timothy to Corinth to try and settle everybody together, get the church back together, but still it was to no avail. So Paul sends Titus as well. And eventually he gets back news that the church has repented, that the false teachers are out, that they're on the, the right track again. And Paul writes 2 Corinthians to them. And this book contains some of the greatest doctrines in the Bible, particularly chapter 5, which is the, the quintessential doctrine of substitutionary atonement. How many times do you hear me quote 2 Corinthians 5.21? 
right? He made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All the old things have passed away and all has become new. Paul does this twofold. To heal the wound that began. And number two, he does this as well to defend his apostleship. And as we saw in our scripture reading in chapter 4, we see a very, very personal view of Paul's heart. He shares his personal perspective of sufferings with regard to the ministry and for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he begins by telling the church why and how he does not lose heart despite all of the heartaches and trials he has faced during the ministry. It is in this chapter that we're going to focus today. We're going to focus in this particular chapter. And we're going to begin to see that his ministry was anything but easy. It was anything but smooth sailing. And that he faced many trials. And there are three lessons, three lessons for us that I want to pull out. Three lessons that I want you to see. Because listen, I'm not preaching this message because I needed a message to preach. I am preaching this message because I know that many in this body have faced and are facing trials in your life. And I want to give you the biblical perspective so that in your trial, you may know that God is allowing you to go through this and that you may know that your hope and your trust is in Him. There are three things we're going to extrapolate from this text. Number one, that we do not lose heart during times of testing. That's number one. Number two, that the presence of trials, temptations, testing does not mean the absence of God. And that number three, that we overcome adversity by faith in God's plan, purpose, and promises. Those are the three things I want you to take out of it. And we're going to look at this in verses 16, 17, and 18. Let's look at verse 16. Therefore, Paul says, we do not lose heart. But though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. We're going to start at the end. We're starting at the last three verses here and work our way back to the beginning of this chapter so that we have the appropriate context. Paul ends this chapter the way he began this chapter, and that is by saying that despite everything that has come against him, we do not lose heart. Twice Paul mentions that statement. He mentions that, Statement in verse 1, Therefore, since we have received this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. And as I just read in verse 16, he mentions the same. That term, lose heart, it's a very interesting Greek term. 
What it really means is to abandon or cowardly surrender. What it is, it's the image of a soldier maintaining a post who when they see the enemy encroaching, abandons the, approach, the, uh, ab- abandons the post and flees. He runs away. It's a cowardly. He didn't even put up the fight. He just sees the enemy approaching and he jumps out of his foxhole and he flees. That's the imagery of losing heart. And Paul is saying to the church, even though we endure many trials, even though we endure many testings, even though we endure many temptations, we are not to be as those that will abandon our posts without even firing a shot, without even contending. Notice he says here in verse 1, Therefore we receive this ministry, and this ministry is specifically in the Greek text, it is this kind of ministry and his calling we do not abandon it the reason we do not abandon it is because it is too noble that's the whole premise the premise here is he is a proclaimer of the gospel of jesus christ he is given a high calling to proclaim god's truth and i submit to you that if you are in christ if you are a believer in christ you have been given that same calling So even though the world may come against us, even though the pressures may come against us, because we have been granted this privilege, we have been granted this grace, we are not those that are to surrender and run and turn away from this high calling that we have. As I read to you Steve Richardson's email, what was Steve um, obsessed with? His obsession wasn't, please pray that I don't get convicted and I don't go to prison. You didn't hear that mentioned once. What did you hear? Please pray that as I've been given this opportunity to proclaim Christ in the courtroom, that I may do it for the glory of God. And he went on to say, despite the outcome. Church, we're going to be tested more and more. We are not to be like those who shrink away. Where are we to go? What are we to do? What in the world does the world have for us? As believers, we are the rejected of the world. We are the outcast of the world. The world does not want us, nor would we ever find contentment in abandoning our mission and abandoning our Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.2 Look what he says after he says we do not lose heart. He said we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Look at that word to adulterate. That means They don't lure with some object, with some kind of bait, with the hook being hidden. That's not what he's doing. He's not adulterating the word word of God. The Apostle Paul is not conning people. He's not saying pleasant words. What's happening in so many churches today, so many churches are so full of pleasant words that you don't hear truth. You don't hear direct words. Well, that's not what Paul was doing. 
Paul was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was commending himself to all men's conscience. That word adulterate is the root word from where we get the Greek word of doulos. You know what doulos is? It's a slave. So if you think of that word contextually, it's not, I'm not baiting you to become a slave of something that is false. Listen at Calvary, we don't bait anybody. And the evidence is Calvary, right? If we were preaching an easy word, if we were preaching a soft word, if we were, quote, in business to, to you know, drive numbers, well, the situation would be a little bit different, wouldn't it? But because we preach a true word, because we preach the word of God, there are many, even in the church, who don't want to hear the word of God. There are many in the church of God that have gotten bored with the word of God. There are many who say that I'm a believer but have no time for God. They don't read, they don't study, they don't pray, they don't fellowship. Well, how's that a believer in Jesus Christ? How would you sell that to the Lord? Well, Lord, I've always been a believer. Yeah, but, you know, you never read the Bible. You don't study the Word of God. You don't come together to pray. You don't have a desire for the things of God. Paul is just saying that. I'm not conning anybody. I'm not baiting anybody. I'm not going to stick the, 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 the hook into them. Look at verse 5 of chapter 4. He says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. Paul reiterates that this ministry is not about himself. He does not preach his successes or his formulas for success. When was the last time in this church you heard a, a message about how to be a better, better manager, how to be a better business person, how to make more money, how to do all these other different things? You're not hearing them and you're never going to hear them. Because we do not preach self. And self means not only just me preaching me, but me feeding you and feeding your ego. What we preach is Christ, and Christ crucified, and Christ risen, and Christ coming again. I wish many, many, many in the church would learn this lesson, that they would stop the self-promotion proclaiming of their names as preeminent in the ministry, you know, Bob Smith Ministries, Jim, you know, Wilson's Ministries, this, what is this? There's only one ministry. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, look with me. Paul makes an amazing statement. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Now all of this is leading to why we do not lose heart. All of this is leading to with the trials and the temptation. But notice Paul's perspective on this. He says we have this treasure, this new birth in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God. I want you to circle that term, earthen vessels. More clearly in the Greek it is clay pots we have these treasures 
in clay pots. Now, the clay pots were for common use. They weren't the ones that were for exemplary use. They weren't the ones that you would serve with dinner. They weren't the ones that you would have a ceremonial feast with. These were common clay jars used for common stuff. But I'm going to share something with you. They were also used for human refuse. They were used as a toilet. Notice what Paul is saying. We have this treasure of the gospel, of the message of salvation, and it has been given to us in clay pots, and we are the clay pots. We are the common use. We are the ones in whom nothing good inherently spiritually dwelt. And God has given to us common vessels, this great treasure. And Paul sees this as the glorious gospel of Christ. I was having a conversation, I forgot with who the other day, I was having a conversation with him, and we were talking about the gospel, and we were talking about, well, you know, it's not intellect alone that causes somebody to be saved. If that were the case, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, and MIT would be full of all the saved and the rest of us dummies would be nowhere. But God has caused the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You know who the foolish things are? Us. We are the foolish. We confound the wise. How is it that a man like you, a woman like you, a man like me, a, a, I was gonna, I'm not going to say a woman like me, but how is it that God would take simple people to confound the wise? How is it that simple people, ordinary people, clay pots can do great things for the glory of God? And it's very simple. Because God has put in us this treasure of the gospel. This new life of the gospel has been placed in us. We are the containers. What's glorious about us? Come on, look at me. There's nothing glorious about it. The only glory is the glory of Christ. And that is why Paul states we do not lose heart. At the very onset of this chapter, we do not lose heart. Brother or sister, if you are in Christ, if you've been experienced trials, testings, temptation, if you are suffering as a result, I encourage you with everything that I have today, do not lose heart that God is at work in you, that God is at work through you, that God will work His glory in and through your life for the glory of God, and many people will be astonished at how you have handled your circumstance. I'm reminded, uh, Sister Janet reminded me today that today was the anniversary date 
that they got the phone call when Ricky was to receive his kidney. And I said to her, I remember exactly where I was. I was in New York City. We were down there for um, Thanksgiving. I was on the Gowanus Expressway heading to my father's house. I got off at 4th Avenue. I had called the Mayo Clinic first to see if, if, if there was an opportunity for Ricky to go to the Mayo Clinic. I called her back. She said, I just got the phone call. A kidney is available. Ricky went in and got operated the day before Thanksgiving. And I remember saying to her, oh my goodness, Janet, it is Thanksgiving and he's getting his kidney on Thanksgiving. After how long? A year and a half of waiting on the list, the donor list? Two years on the donor list, despairing, losing hope, going through dialysis when it would take too much fluid or they'd leave too much fluid, through trials and through tribulations. But then at the appointed time, God moved and it was done. And the glory of God was seen. And look at him, there he is sitting there right there. We are to hold fast. We are to cling to Christ. We are tasked with an honorable, noble, glorious truth that gets manifested. Listen, it gets manifested during our times of trial and testing. I think about my sister Nancy and Isabella. Hi, Isabella. Hi, baby. Love you. Amen. I think about the past year and a half of surgeries, of times that things looked bleak. Now they held fast to Christ even though they couldn't hold at times. She said, I can't. I remember having a conversation with her. Nancy, if it's okay if I share this, but I remember having a conversation with her. She said, I, I can't. I, I can't take one more. And you know what? More than one more came. And Christ held her fast. And He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Listen, I want you to, whenever we talk about these common expressions, because even the world knows these expressions, oh, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You know, there's a tendency to say, I know that. But this is where we hold on. This is where we apply these truths, where they become reality to us. Mentioned earlier about Job, a man who probably suffered more than any of us could ever conceive of or imagine of. And in the midst of his trial, he made this statement, but he knows, speaking of God, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me. I shall come forth pure as gold. Paul in Acts 14.22 was told that he was... Acts 14.22 says he was strengthening the souls of the disciples. He was going out. He was strengthening them. He was encouraging them to continue in the faith. This is what he was saying. He was encouraging in them to continue in the faith. Notice what he tells you. It's going to be easy. You're going to be well accepted. People are going to love you. Man, you're going to go speak in a place. There's going to be 50,000 people there. They're going to give you money. You're never going to have to work again. It's all going to be good, right? Is that what the scripture says? 
Not quite. Here was Paul's word of encouragement. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You think a lot of people said, where do I sign up, Paul? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Folks, what we're seeing going on in this nation is a death to cultural Christianity and the rebirth of the church is taking place with true Christianity with people who are going to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. So truth number one, we do not lose heart. Truth number two, that the presence of trials, temptations, and testing does not mean the absence of God. Look at verse 17. For the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. What does Paul mean when he talks about these momentary light afflictions? Three key words there. Circle them in your Bible. Momentary. It means immediate for the time being. Light. It means it doesn't have any weight. It can't weigh you down. Affliction. Properly what this means is pressure. It gives the the impression of pressure, pushing one against another. Friction that's going on. Tribulation. Smashing. Being hemmed in. So Paul says, obviously going around them, there's these momentary, there's these light, non-weighty little frictions that are taking place. Well, what were some of them? Let's look at the text. Look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way. Well, there's affliction. We are crushed. That's not too good. Perplexed. But he says, we're not despairing. Persecuted. But he says, we're not forsaken. Struck down. That means with violence, by the way. Struck down. But not destroyed. He goes on in verse 10, he says, we're always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be, all, may be manifested in our body. Look at verse 11. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. And Paul knew what he was talking about. In 2 Corinthians 11, in the same epistle, In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24 through 28, listen what the Apostle Paul says. Listen to this. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. You remember that in Ephesus? When they took him out, they stoned him. They thought he was dead. They left him in the ditch. They all went back into the city. And Paul gets up and he walks back out. He says, I, have, uh, I was shipwrecked. 
A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. What does Paul say? These momentary light afflictions. These momentary light afflictions. But Paul in verse 17 doesn't end it there. You see, he refers to these momentary light afflictions, but what they are producing in the life of the believer. And what is it that they are producing? Well, he tells us, they are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, remember he used the word light. It meant to wait. Here, when he talks about it is producing an eternal weight, he is referring to a heavy weight. Symbolic of pure gold that has substance to it. What is the point? The point here is that these momentary light afflictions are producing in us an eternal weight of glory that can never be compared with and I would venture to say that we cannot even fathom. We can't fathom. Remember when I quoted from Job 23.10? And I shared with you in Job 23.10, He knows the path that I take, and when He has tried me, I shall come forth pure as gold. These momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. I know there used to be a song called Through It All. It was written by Andre Crouch. And the song said, For if I never had a problem, I never know that he could solve them. I never knew what faith in God could do. So through it all, through it all, I, um, I learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. These trials are producing something and there is an end to the means. The end is they are producing an eternal weight. It's beyond comparison. It's beyond measure. Paul echoes this in Romans 8.18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. He tells this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.10, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. 
Peter mentions this in 1 Peter 5.10. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Dear brother and sister, if you're experiencing a trial in your life, if you are hanging by a thread, whether it is due to illness, circumstances, rejection, persecution, hold fast to Christ. These trials are producing in us godliness, holiness, and faith. We cannot quit. We must not quit. We must resolve that you will not quit. Do not abandon Christ. Do not abandon the church. Do not abandon the faith. Listen, our enemy, the great manipulator, seeks to take advantage of all these situations so that you, in effect, will curse God and die. Through our perseverance, through our endurance, we testify to an unbelieving world, to our unbelieving family and friends, that we indeed belong to Christ. That He holds us and He steadies us in times of trial. Listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. Now what is the common denominator? The common denominator is, we must go through. Whatever you are going through, God is with us. Christ said that He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us and He will give us the strength. The presence of trials does not mean the absence of God. Let's take a look at the third one. That we overcome by faith in God's plan, God's purposes, and God's promises. There is a tendency in the flesh to only see temporal earthly things. And not to cast our eyes on that which is eternal. The tendency is in all of us. And as fallen creatures, Satan will always attempt to exacerbate this tendency. There is a tendency always to see the circumstance and not see the sovereign Lord and His purposes. I find myself in those circumstances all of the time. But I want to share something. Paul's admonition and his testimony of his circumstances as we've seen in this chapter are twofold. Number one, he looks past the sufferings past the testings and the trials, choosing not to dwell and stay fixed upon the circumstance. And so should we. We cannot stay fixated on the temporal. We cannot stay fixated on only the things that we see. But rather, Paul says, to look at the things which are not seen, that which is eternal, that which is promised of God, that which is the inheritance of believers in Christ. 
We see this in the preceding verses. He described the result of the trials was an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. He was looking back. Earlier in the chapter, he could name all the things that happened. But he looks past it and he says all of this is producing in us an eternal weight of glory. The writer of Hebrews echoed a very similar, similar sentiment. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, I'm sure many of you know this by heart. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The writer of Hebrews gives a great definition of faith and he uses two key words. Two key words that bring deeper meaning to the definition. They are assurance and conviction. Assurance means under God's promises. Faith is the assurance under God's promises of things hoped for. The second element he brings out, it is the conviction of things not seen. And that means God confirming His inbirthing in faith as a proof test. You notice that faith begins with God, culminates with God. It's all of God. God is the one who's bringing this all about. God both guarantees the believer's faith and confirms that birthing of faith through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Hence why as believers, we can hold fast to Christ in these moments of time. And although temptation is there to give up and quit, He will hold us fast. I've said this many times from this pulpit. One of the greatest things is ever to witness a believer dying. It's one of the most beautiful, one of the most loving things ever. Because you see a steadfastness in them. You see that what they profess their entire life does not abandon them in their moment of trial, in their moment of death. And you see them clinging to and holding to Christ. And Christ holding them. Fast. The psalmist David wrote in Psalm 27, 13, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God, of the Lord in the land of the living. Hebrews 10, 39 says of, of believers, but we are not those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. It is by faith we overcome, by our belief in the invisible God, our faith that only God is in control, faith that God is working all things for good because we love the Lord, faith in God's spoken word, faith in God's past deliverances in our life, faith in the promises of God. Look at how many times in your life where you thought a situation was going to be catastrophic, where you thought a situation was going to be devastating, and you can look back and you could see the delivering hand of God working through. But while you were in it, you couldn't see that, could you? That is why Paul is able to continue in chapter 5 and declare to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body and absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk 
by faith. As believers, we live a life that is consistent with our Christian beliefs. That is a life of faith, confident, confident in God. Confident in God's promises. Knowing that nothing can befall us. Listen, even death. Even death. The only way to overcome adversities, the evils, the trials of this life, is by faith in God and in His love for us. So in summary, we covered three principles for pushing through adversity. Pushing through the trial, pushing through the testing. They are, number one, that we do not lose heart during seasons of trial. Number two, that the presence of trials does not mean the absence of God. And that number three, we overcome by faith in God's plan, purposes, and promises. We turn over to Jude, their book right before Revelation. You look at Jude chapter 32. <laughs> Nobody left. Nobody got that? Jude is only one chapter. Oh boy. Sunday school's got to come back. Jude 24. I leave this as a word of encouragement. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. To the only God and Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now, forever. Amen. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you for your many blessings to us. And Father, knowing fully well that there are many in this church who have gone through such times of adversity, of varying degrees and varying origins, Lord, we pray that you would hold them fast, that you would confirm your perfect will and your perfect way in their life, that you would reveal yourself as their great Father, and that the Holy Spirit would be their comforter. And that, Lord, that they would never abandon. They would never lose heart. They would stay strong and overcome, knowing fully well that you who began a good work in them will continue to do so until the day of Jesus Christ. And, Father, if there are any here that know not Christ, where Christ may be an imagination or in a distant thought, but do not have that direct relationship with Him. Lord, may You reveal Yourself to them. May You draw Yourself to them. And may they come to know the Savior by turning from their sins and entrusting themselves by faith to You, Lord. We ask You for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.